Hi everyone, welcome back to Sustainability Speaks. We are your hosts, Stasia and Saskia. Before we begin, I just want to say a big thank you to a listener who reached out to us on Instagram. It's really nice to hear messages from you guys and she gave us some great ideas for future content. So if anyone has anything at all they would like us to speak about, then please get in touch because we'd love to hear your suggestions. On today's podcast, we will be discussing green architecture. So we'll start by telling you what green architecture is, some historical background, why it's important, and then give you some examples of green buildings. So green architecture is a philosophy of architecture that advocates for sustainable energy sources, the conservation of energy, the reuse and safety of building material, and the sitting of a building with consideration of its impact on the environment. So essentially what green architecture aims to do is that the building that it's designing doesn't have a significant negative impact on the environment. So why do we need green architecture? So as I'm sure many of you are aware, the population is massively growing and not only is it growing, but a lot of people are actually migrating into urban areas. So that means that people need to be housed more and people also need buildings for work, for schooling, etc. So one of the most popular materials used in building is cement and actually 8% of global emissions is caused by cement alone. Not only this, but 36% of global energy is devoted to buildings, with 33% of global energy-related greenhouse gas emissions also being emitted by buildings. This makes buildings the single biggest global emitter by sector. Green architecture is such a vast scale. It can be as small as reusing wood and bricks from local scrapyards, or as large as creating whole buildings dedicated to sustainability. Some examples are using non-toxic materials, making efficient use of spaces and ventilation systems that are designed for efficient heating and cooling. This can be as simple as painting buildings white that were traditionally black. You can also see this in places like Greece where all the houses are white and this is to reflect the sun, which reduces the need for air conditioning. Also in urban areas, especially in hot countries such as Australia, there have been massive implementations of programs which paint the roofs of skyscrapers or just tall buildings white. Essentially, as Saskia said, this aims to reduce the amount of energy that needs to be used for air conditioning within those buildings. And it also reduces the hot iron city effect, which is very prevalent in urban areas and hot countries. This effect is also known as the urban heat island. This is basically where the city has a dome of heat over it. From pollution, the city tends to be four or five degrees warmer than the countryside. And the hot iron city effect is actually something I've had experience with. So coming from Moscow, obviously everyone knows that Russia gets really cold in the winter, which it does. And on the outskirts of Moscow, which is out of the city and isn't urban, you can get temperatures down to minus 20, minus 30 degrees and just tons and tons of snow. But as soon as you get into the city, it actually turns into a very mild winter, essentially the kind of winter you would get in England. So, you know, minus five, minus two or even warmer. And instead of snow, you get slush. So that's just a prime example of how cities are a lot more heated than uh, urban areas. It's a bit mad because even the other day when it snowed, it just didn't settle in these at all because Leeds is just a bit hotter and like 10 miles down the road, it settles so much better. Green architecture has only recently become a thing. And when I say recently, I mean the 70s and the 80s. And it's said to be inspired by indigenous people's lifestyles where they have little impact on the land. So pioneers in the 70s and 80s Lewis Mumford, Ian McHarg and James Lovelock contribute significantly to the popularisation of environment principles. McHarg in particular believe that the role of humans on the planet is a steward to the environment. 
and the lack of regulation around the world, particularly in the USA, meant there was unlimited consumption of fossil fuels. Thankfully this came to a head in 1973 when there was an oil crisis which brought up the cost of energy and was a painful reminder of the worldwide dependence on a small number of petroleum producing countries, bringing about the demand for sustainable sources of energy. So around about that time in the 80s and 90s, the environmental society greatly expanded and examples of this would be Greenpeace and Friends of the Earth, who I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard about before. Then a significant milestone came about in 1994 of leadership in energy and environmental design, otherwise known as LED. And they set standards and provided measurable criteria for design and construction of environmentally responsible buildings with basic standards. These standards have inspired 21st century design principles such as using alternative energy sources, reusing materials and conserving energy. We all conserve energy in ways that we don't even realise, especially in England, such as using double glazed windows which are actually highly efficient and reduce the heat loss or gain up to 30% compared to single glazed windows. So as I'm pretty sure we've made it quite clear, green architecture can benefit the environment quite significantly, but actually can also benefit us. I've written a blog on this topic, and this is something known as the biophilia effect. Essentially, what this means is that people actually benefit from being surrounded by nature and green spaces. As I'm pretty sure you can imagine, in urban areas, there's not that much green spaces, and actually architects have tried to incorporate more greenery and more natural plants into the urban landscape. So for example, in Leeds, there's only 21% of greenery in the city, but then in comparison to Edinburgh, there is 49, which makes Edinburgh the greenest city in the UK. So by being surrounded by green spaces in urban areas, it can benefit our mood, it can benefit people's productivity, it can benefit people's concentration, not only of the people who are working, but also school students who go to school in the city. By increasing the amount of greenery we have in urban areas, we can significantly benefit impacts on pollution levels, which obviously will positively impact people. Architects have included this into urban landscapes by green walls, these can be indoors or outdoors, and also through the use of green gardens. As well as benefiting the environment, incorporating green elements into architecture can also have great economic benefits which can serve as a tourist attraction. A really good example of this is a railway park in New York, this is known as High Line. Originally a rail track, it has been abandoned and turned into an elevated park. This is quite literally a park that is off the ground. Since its opening, it has attracted loads of tourists, especially those that are interested in the environment, and house prices have actually gone up around the area. Although, like with everything else, there are current challenges for green architecture. So, quite a simple one is that constructing a green building usually comes with a higher price tag. This is because the design is more complex and also the materials that need to be used are more expensive. But I think what needs to be considered is that although actually designing and building the building is more expensive, but then the building will actually be cheaper to manage heat and light in the long run. So in the end, it will prove to be cost efficient. The initial price tag is fine for large companies and people who have a lot of money. But in reality, the majority of the population will not be able to afford a green architectured house or apartment. Also on the topic of feasibility of green architecture, the issue is that green architecture can only be adopted in places where there are sources of renewable energy, but hopefully when renewable energy becomes popularly globally traded, this shouldn't be an issue. At the moment, this is obviously a bit of an issue in England because as I'm sure you're all aware, especially if you live in the UK, it's not exactly the sunniest place. 
which makes solar power not the best option. However, we obviously have other options such as wind turbines. Another challenge when it comes to green architecture is that when it comes to designing a building, visual appeal and functionality are the priority. So if a building is sustainable and green, but it's unappealing to look at and it's not functional, regardless of benefits, it's not going to be built. This also applies to the fact that greenery on buildings, for example, if you're building a building with a green wall, adds extra weight to the structure. So this means that in order for a building to actually be green, the architect needs to take the whole process into account from the beginning. Buildings with green walls can also pose as a fire hazard, but with an adequate irrigation system, this should prevent this. Another thing to bear in mind is, although green architecture is the way forward, we shouldn't build buildings just for the sake of it. Obviously, if we need new houses and new commercial buildings, then this is a great way forward. But if we don't, then it's better to just make the buildings we already have more green. Yeah. It can take up to 80 years for a new building that is 30% more efficient than an average performing existing building to overcome the construction process. So a great resource that we've come across through our environment law lectures actually is a YouTuber called Ben and he has a channel called Going Green. And basically what he does is he posts content revolving around traveling, sustainability, green buildings and architecture. And a video that we watched as part of our module was green architecture saving the world. And in this video, Ben travels around the world and tells his viewers about his favorite green buildings that he's encountered. He's traveled to London where he shows living walls which help clean air and can be placed indoors to improve oxygen levels. To Barcelona where he shows a vertical garden. This softens the urban landscape and allows people to connect with nature. This can trigger the biophilia effect which Stasia spoke about earlier. The garden also encourages biodiversity by promoting habitats for birds, which I thought was very cool. And it also lowers the temperature of the surrounding areas and actually the building itself by providing ventilations. Ben also shows green architecture in Singapore, Hamburg and Copenhagen. We will link his video below. A famous green architect that we found through Ben is Stefano Beret, and he's actually the primary architect who's in charge of designing a green forest city in China, which was commissioned to being built this year. The purpose of Beret's work is to reduce the urban heat island, which we spoke about earlier. He wants to do this by using treatments to decontaminate polluted soil, using green corridors, which are basically just streets lined with trees, to connect parks, forests and buildings together. He basically has a vision of a green city. Green cities are really important because forests and trees absorb 40% of man-made fossil fuel emissions every year. So by bringing trees and greenery into the city, it'll help reduce the urban heat island effect. He's working on a project in the Netherlands called Wonderwoods. This is a 90 meter high apartment building with 200 apartments. It'll have 10,000 plants from 30 different species, equivalent to one hectare of forest of vegetation, which produces around 41 tonnes of oxygen each year. So I'm not sure if this is an American or a European ton. It's spelt the American way, but since he is an Italian architect, I would presume it would be a European ton. The difference is, is that the European ton is 10 times heavier than the American ton. So hopefully this is the European measurement. The apartment building is designed as a wellness hub. It has spaces for fitness, bicycles and public recreational spaces. He's also made projects in Antwerp, Lyon, Milan, New York and a green cathedral which is a university building in Holland. We will be linking Stefano Beret's website in the description of this podcast so if you're interested in checking some of his designs out and just learning more about him then you'll be able to do that through clicking the link. There's actually so many examples of green buildings across the world but I'll just name a few. 
There's a pixel building in Australia, in Melbourne. This is a very colourful building and was Australia's first carbon neutral office building. It generates all its power and water on site by catching the rainwater. One Central Park in Sydney has a 25% reduction in energy use in comparison to a usual skyscraper. And the Bahrain World Trade Centre 1 and 2 are positioned to take advantage of the wind. It has three turbines on the skybridge that connects them to generate electricity. In the process of planning a new building in Japan, residents were really upset about green spaces taken away. This is a really nice story because the architect actually took into account their opinions. On one side of the building, it looks like a usual building. On the other side, it kind of looks just like a hill with trees covering it because it has a series of 15 terraces. So to finish off this podcast, something that we wanted to touch upon was how architects could save the planet. And this is actually another one of Ben's video, which will be linked in the description of this podcast. So he touched upon three things. And first of all, by designing sustainable architectural landmarks, architects can educate regular people about the importance of sustainability, and they can also inspire other architects to follow suit and also design green buildings. Then, as Saskia previously mentioned, there is more and more buildings being built, and especially in urban areas, it's complex to build new buildings due to the lack of land, hence why we're seeing more buildings being built up as opposed to cities expanding. So the second point is, is that existing buildings need to be modified in order to be made more green. This means that they need to have an improved insulation system and, for example, adding features such as green walls. And last point being that architects need to make sure that they educate others about the importance of sustainability and green architecture. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. As we've said throughout, we will be linking everything that we've mentioned in the description of the podcast. Also, as we mentioned right at the beginning, if anyone listening has any suggestions of topics they would like us to cover, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Thank you so much for listening.